Hey, this is Chris Childs, former New York Knicks, 1999 NBA Finals. You're listening to 3OT. From tip-off to buzzer beater. Kick-off to Hail Mary. This is Triple Overtime. Welcome back to Triple Overtime. We have another very special guest with us today. Uh, Chris Childs, thank you for coming on and talking to us, brother. We appreciate you, uh, you know, spending some time with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. You guys are doing a good job. And I, anytime I can help uh, assist uh, with making something prosperous, I'm all for it. That's amazing, man. So thank you again. Just to, uh, you know, set the tone for the interview, like I said, we're going to go over some your NBA career, your college career. Uh, definitely get your perspective on the game of basketball that we see today. So let's go ahead and just get right in. Don't hold back. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So I know just doing a little research, I know, you know, in high school, you were a multiple sport guy. Yeah, I played uh, it was basketball, baseball. I was playing football, but they didn't want me to play quarterback. So like Charlie Ward, I was like, eh, forget it. I played golf, played tennis, uh, didn't run track because I didn't like wearing tights. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, le- I left the track alone, but it's ironic. I wear them now when I work out, but back then I, it wasn't too, <laughs> wasn't too cool. But yeah, I uh, was trying to stay busy. I had a, a goal in mind. I uh, wanted to go to college and want, didn't want to put the pressure on my family to come up with the money to send me to, to college. So mm-hmm. I was trying every sport. And what, what would you say made you stick with basketball the most? Well, baseball was my favorite sport. Mm. And I got drafted uh, in baseball by the Phillies. But... In my neighborhood, in my hometown, my brother, who was a better basketball player than me, everybody in the neighborhood kept saying, you're not as good as your brother. That's why you're playing baseball. So I had to show him that I might not be as good as my brother, but my brother taught me. So the things that he taught me, I just added my own into what he taught me. And the difference between us, he was more talented than me. He can jump higher, shoot better, faster, stronger. But I had what a lot of players didn't have nasty intangibles and the hard work and dedication that I don't care who's in front of me, I feel that I can defeat them. And so I had that never die attitude. And that was the difference between myself and my brother. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. That, that's a mentality right there. Yeah. I, had, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. You know, when they tell you you can't do something. And I think, you know, it's, it was a message that I would give to all the kids that, I was told that I couldn't. When you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to die trying. Because, you know, that's what my dad instilled in us. So when they put that jacket on me, I was like, okay, let's show them. You know, God gave me the ability to do it. And, uh, you know, I I made it. That's great. And so, you know, so fast forwarding through your story a little bit, you get to Boise State, correct? Right? You was in Boise State. Boise State, yep. And you played four years, and uh, I was looking at your numbers. You played every single game. Like, you started every single game at Boise State. Crazy, right? That's insane. That's so rare. It was, uh, <laughs> it was you know, it was a blessing because I did break my leg my junior year, but I rehabbed so hard, I was ready for the season to start. So I always kept myself in great shape, and I, I, I hate sitting out and watching my team go out there and compete. So I was doing everything I could to rehab and uh, come back. And yeah, four years. Well, I told my college coach when I got there, I was a freshman and the guy that was starting was a senior. And so 
I told him, I said, well, you need to let that your senior know that he won't be starting this year. And so the coach looked at me crazy. And so I went into practice and this six, four guy, you know, I was a skinny 165 pound, 175 pound with a California Jerry curl. And uh, <laughs> I, I walked up to him. I said, you know, you're coming off the bench this year, right? And he looked at me like, this kid is crazy. But after the first practice, he went to the bench. Oh, man. Wow, man. That's crazy. That's look, and not yeah. to knock anybody in the league today, but, you know, look, like John Wall's been out for like two years with an injury. You say you rehab so hard, you were ready for the season? I broke my, my fibula. The bone was sticking out. And so I tried to get up, and I, I saw the bone. I fainted. Went to the hospital. They did what they needed to do, and the, co and the, the doctor was like, it's going to take you six months. I was like, no, you're alive. It'll take me two months. And I rehabbed every day, six, seven, eight hours a day. And I, I was I'm ready. I'm sensing a, a pattern here, my guy. I'm sensing a pattern. A lot of people telling you you can't do things and you proved them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's, I, I don't like using the word can't. I, I, I hate it. And, and especially when, you know, you get these medical experts and people telling you they don't know you as a person. So they're giving you the the uh, medical terminology instead of getting to know who you are. And like, I don't give a damn what the medical thing says. I'm coming back. And so that, that's just my mentality. And so, you know, after having a really good college career at Boise State, like you say, you played all, you started every game for four years. You know, unfortunately, you went undrafted. And so... yeah. Put us into the the mind state that you were in when that happened, or, or when you felt like you weren't getting noticed. Well, this is what what happened. My junior year, after breaking my leg, I end up being in Sports Illustrated as the best in the West over Gary Payton, Tim Hardaway, all the guys. I was the best in the West my junior year. Senior year, I switched positions. Uh, I went to the two guard to let another guy come in that was fast and quick, and we needed his speed. And so I moved off the ball because we didn't have a two guard that could shoot as well. So I moved to the two. My scoring went up, but my playmaking as a point guard went down. So now they're saying, okay, he's not really a point guard, but he's too small for two. Here we go with he can't do these things again. And so I'm, I'm slotted my senior, I'm slotted as to go in the late first round, early second round. So we go to the pre-draft camp, and we're in Chicago. I'm hanging, me and Rod Strickland are hanging out, and I'm playing well, but mentally and, and maturity-wise, I wasn't quite ready because I was hanging out, not taking the pre-draft camp serious, not knowing that they watch every move, everything you do, because it's a company, it's a it's a it's a business. There's other entities that comes along with uh, running a franchise, so. I don't get drafted. I have a draft party in Boise. I don't get drafted. I go to my room. I'm pissed off, crying, mad, everything. My dad said, leave him alone. Let him, you know, get his emotions out, and then we'll talk to him later. So about 30 minutes later, my dad comes in the room. He said, you done with this? I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, you, are you done crying and getting all your emotions out? I said, yeah. He said, well, damn it, it's time to go to work. Mm. And right then and there, I got up. Went and ran five miles, called my coach, opened the gym, and started working on my game. 
It took me five years to make it, but I went to the CBA. I still wasn't ready maturity-wise on how to run a ball club. I knew how to play the game, but as a point guard, you have to know how to run a club. And so NBA teams weren't sure because my CBA teams weren't winning. And so I ended up going to, um, I think I went to Dallas for the draft Steve Alford. And so first day of practice, you can't get the ball across half court. I'm playing just crazy defense. And Derek Harper, who played with the Knicks, was the main point guard there. And he took a liking to me. And so he's like, man, you're going to make this team. He gave me one of his uh, S-class Mercedes, the old uh, two-door Mercedes back in the day that like Ron O'Neill, all the pimps used to drive. And so he gave, he gave me that car just to drive or get around town while we're in training camp. So I'm like, okay, cool. So we're playing preseason games. I'm leading the team in assists during the preseason, only playing 15 minutes. So the last day I get a call, I th- no, I take that back. The night before, we go out. Roy Tarpley called me. Hey, I'm coming to pick you up. Because everybody, you know, Brad, uh, uh, Rolando Blackman, all these guys like me and they know I'm going to make the team. So they take me out to dinner, we hang out, come back to the hotel room. In the morning, I get a call from uh, Coach John McLeod saying that they're cutting. Wow. They're letting me go. And they're like, well, we want you to come downstairs so we can have a, a meeting before you leave. Me being young and immature, I hung up the phone on John McLeod. Like, man, I'm not coming down there. Right. And so that kind of st- stuck with me through my time in the CBA because of what I did to him, the, the, the disrespect. And so my last uh, team that I tried for was uh, after I, I ended up going to rehab with uh, John Lucas because I had a drinking problem. Not able to manage your drinking while you're playing and in sports. People mm-hmm. are afraid to speak on that and, and admit when they've been defeated. Mm-hmm. And I was like that until I finally had, I got tired, I had enough of it. And I ended up going to rehab with John Lucas, spent 50 some amazing days. We ended up, we had, we had what they call the best dope fiend team in America. <laughs> we had, <laughs> it was crazy. We had Chris Washburn, we had Roy Tarpley, we had uh 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 shoot, Willie Burton out of Minnesota played with the Heat. Mm-hmm. Grant Gondrzak, rest in peace. Uh he played with the Suns. Uh we had we had Dwayne Washington, uh, Derek Fisher's brother, was on our team. Uh, we, just, we, we just had an amazing team. And so going through that, I ended up getting a tryout with the San Antonio Spurs, uh, which was coached by John Lucas. They drafted mm-hmm. Chris Whitney. Uh, Dennis Rodman was on that team at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, David Robinson. And so with Chris Whitney being a, a first-round draft pick, I knew that I could outplay in which I did, but long story short, last I led the team in assists during the whole preseason. On the last game of the preseason, we're flying back. I'm back there with uh, Terry Cummings. uh, Shoot, I can't, Willie Anderson. 
uh, Alvin Robertson, all those guys are like, man, you, you, you on the team. We love the way you play. John Lucas called me to the front of the plane right before we land and he released me. Wow. So here we go again. I get cut this time. I thank him. I go back to the CBA my fifth year and I made sure that we won the champion and I led that team to a championship. And then that's when uh, Willis Reed called me and uh, told me that he was giving me a partial guarantee, not a whole partial guarantee to come to New Jersey and compete for a position. Uh, so it wasn't, I don't know even, it wasn't even guaranteed. You still had to knowing that you still had to go in there and try to, and try to earn your way uh, yep. into a position with the Nets. Yep. He, I already, I noticed like it was yesterday. He gave me 75,000 because at that time, oh, that was 90, 92, 92, 93. At that time, I made $150,000. So he gave me 75 and I had to earn a spot to get the other 75. And so I'm like, okay, who are the guards? Kenny Anderson, who's his backup? David, uh, David Wesley. I said, okay, well, you tell David to pack his bags. I love it. I love and it. And so, <laughs> yeah, I was serious. So when I got there to New Jersey, first day of practice, same thing that I did to Steve Alford. David Wesley couldn't get the ball across half court. I was still it. 10 second count, offensive foul. He would get frustrated or whatever. So before that, that was doing training camp before the season started, they traded him. And so Willis Reed was like, Yeah, this is your spot. So I got the other money, but they wanted to give me more. I said, Nah, you keep that money. I don't want it. I can still have things approved because I want a bigger contract. And so after the first year, they wanted to sign me to a long-term deal, and I turned it down because Kenny was still the starter. Mm. I, I didn't come to this NBA from the CBA to come off the bench. I came because I wanted to hear my name starting for whoever team, Chris Childs, because that was my goal. And so I turned it down, and uh, Butch Beard was a coach, and Kenny was playing well, but we weren't playing well as a team. And, but when I was on the floor, the team clicked, and so they ended up trading Kenny Anderson, my buddy, Shibs, trade, I think, to Portland. Now it's my team. Mm -hmm. And so we, weren't, we didn't win a lot of games, but we were excited. And when the Bulls came to town, that's when my antennas went up and I was like, yeah, I got to show MJ that I can play. Locked yeah, in. I can play. And so I had a triple-double mm -hmm. and we battled. Uh, he ended up, I think he ended up with like 33, but he shot 35 times. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't understand, who is this guy guarding me the way I'm guarding? I'm pushing him, I'm, I'm elbowing him, I'm kicking him, I'm stomping on his feet. Mm -hmm. I'm doing whatever I can. Stop Not yeah. a lot of people can say that. No, because they, they get intimidated. But you know, why, why would you get intimidated by a man? Somebody that God made. You know, there's no need to be intimidated. They put their shoes on the same way. Because what happens is you have players that can jump higher, run faster, shoot better, mm -hmm. and everything. But 
One thing they shouldn't do is outwork you. That's the thing that you can control. And so I made sure that whoever I played against, whenever I went to practice, whoever, whether even if it was my teammate, John Starks, you're not going to outwork me. And so that's the way I approached the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. Sorry I took so much of the time just rambling. No, nah, you good. You, that's you, you no. actually answered some of our <laughs> questions. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro, that was you talk as long as you want, man. We're here for we're here for the listen, man. That's what we're here for. We're all right, but y'all, sh- yeah, y'all shoot, shoot some questions, baby. Let's go. All right, well, like you mentioned, MJ, and like you know, you crossed you you played in an era like your time in the NBA was was you know some of the guys. In people's, you know, top fives, top tens, you played against most of these guys. So, who was your favorite person to lace up against? Was well, let me. I I can't give you one because I'm gonna give you two guys, and then I'm gonna give you two that I respect, and they're so underrated, and they should get more props than they do. So, MJ and MJ and Allen Iverson. And I'm going to tell you why. If you have to play the Bulls one night and then turn around and play Philly the next night, if you don't get your rest because AI is going to call me, hey, man, I'm coming to get you. We're going out. So sometimes I wouldn't even answer his phone (laughs) (laughs) because I already know what that's going to be about. But now you're going up against MJ and whether you're in Chicago or New York, the fans are coming to see him. And so I'm definitely on my P's and Q's on my best game. The referees are going to give him calls. He's going to shoot a lot. So that's that gets your juices flowing. That gets you excited. You know, like, all right, you know, I'm going to hit him so hard this time. You know, if he comes to the basket, I'm going to just knock him down and take a foul. You know, just to set the tone. You have to do that. That's what Absolutely. the Knicks need to get back to. So yeah. my first foul wasn't going to be a ticky tech foul. It was going to be a forearm to his throat, to his shoulder, to his hip, whatever. Because I want to see, you know, what, what the game, yeah. yeah, what the game is going to be like. And so, you know, that's a battle there. The chess game, um, how people don't understand how fundamentally sound Michael is, that's what made him so great added to his athletic ability and his IQ of the game. So if he got the ball at 11 feet, I'm done. But if I can push him to 15 to 17 feet, then I have the advantage. So that was the chess match to see if I can get him off his spot because I knew every move. I knew what he was going to do. But it just comes a time where you have to pray to the heavens above that he have an off night. For sure. You know, even with this documentary that just came out, they're talking, keep him out of the air. And did Jeff, did Jeff tell you that at any point in time? Was Jeff Van Gunny in the huddle saying, look, don't let this man jump? He never really said that. But when I was in Jersey, uh, my veteran was Rick Mahorn. Rick was on the team. He was on the bench. And so Rick, was, when, when I was in the game, I sat right by Rick. And he was telling me, giving me pointers and I mean, he could break the game down so good. And so I was all ears. And so he was like, we played him. Before he can squat and get into a jumping position, that's when you got to hit him. Not while he's in the air because he can still get the shot off or there would be a flagrant. But as soon as he's getting ready to plant, hit him with the hip, hit him with the forearm, hit him off that spot. So 
that's what we would try to do. And I think that's why we competed against the Bulls uh, so well. Then you turn around and go against this cat, this, this kid named Allen Iverson, who pound for pound, one of the best players that ever played the game. Uh, they changed the rules when he came. Once he got into the league, they changed the rules where you couldn't put a form on a guy when he's, you know, driving towards the basket. And so that made it even more difficult to guard him because you had to give him space because he was lightning fast. But if he was hitting the jumper, you had to get up on him to contest his shot. So, you know, I had to get rest with him because it was a couple of nights we hung out. He called me. We got in town. And I'm like, AI, come on, man. Not tonight. Oh, you got to come. I told, the, I told the fellas from Virginia you was coming. Da, da, da. No, not tonight. But <laughs> man, he, that kid, man, that kid, that man, he's something else. He's special. And he was, he was a joy to play against, uh, competing, to watch, uh, exciting basketball player. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Uh, I agree. The other t- yeah, the other two on my list, man, so underrated was Rod Strickland and Terrell Brandon. Let me explain something about these two players. Rod, Rucker, Gachos, Strickland was so crafty with the basketball that you can anticipate where he's going and he had that spin move and he had the body where once he spun off of you, you couldn't get back in front of him because he had the wide shoulders and he would dip and hit you with the shoulders and you think you can block his shot because he shot it from the chest. It wasn't like a normal shot where he got it above his shoulders and shot it. He shot it from the chest. So you're reaching and he's getting and ones and he's moving the ball around just so difficult to guard, but so fun to play with. I mean, play against. And then you had uh, Terrell Brandon, who had the herky-jerky moves, um, crafty with the basketball, big hands, can jump, uh, had the whole package. And man, that kid, uh, Terrell Brandon was tough. So those are the four guys. And there's the others. You know, you got Kobe, but he came later. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play against LeBron and KD and you know, all those guys. But those four guys that I went up against. And I'll put Stephon Marbury in there. Um, uh, That's Cliff's uh, guy. So I'm sure he's happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, Starbury. Yeah. Strawberry. Like, look, I'm a, look, I'm from Jersey, man. So all like, these uh all these guys are, you know, like um this is like the history of hoop for us. So it's like, like and with speaking to like Rod Strickland, because a lot of people like he is very underrated in the grand scheme because he had a great career, and um I don't think people understand that his layup package is like out of this world. Like, can you see his? You can see his game in Kyrie's. Right. Like, you see any similarities? Right. The way they spin the ball off the backboard and the angles that they finish. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Some of the best finishers, and I seen Rod standing underneath the basket. I think he got it from Iceman because Iceman taught me uh, when I was uh, trying out in San Antonio. But let me give Iceman props too. One of the, I don't know if you guys remember, one of the best posters ever made was Iceman sitting on a block of ice 
with his legs crossed, holding two basketballs with ice everywhere. And it was the coldest poster ever. But <laughs> literally. Look that up. Yeah, look, look that, that up. up. The ice <laughs> man poster sick. And so he used to stand right underneath the basket with his back towards the uh, baseline and right underneath the, the backboard and spin the ball with his left hand and right hand and make a hundred. That's, That's impossible. Crazy. And I said, Rob, why you said, man, I'm just working on the angles of how to hit the backboard and watching the spin on how it's going to come back if I get hit. I'm like, this is crazy. So it's so crazy you said that because Kyrie has a, I think Kyrie has a video on YouTube where he's explaining to kids how he learned. Well, I mean, that's his godfather. Right. He was explaining how he learned how to get the spins on the angles, where to hit it on the backboard. To see like the the craft that goes into becoming great, it's just it's it's a beauty to watch. Yeah, it. because you have a lot of because everybody that plays in the NBA is good, and they're great in their own right. But the guys that become superstars, that's the the, the work that goes into it, the things that people don't see, the film study, the time in the gym when nobody else is in there, three o'clock in the morning instead of being at the club. Uh, if you have a, a one for 10 shooting night at the three or free throw, these guys, all NBA players, but the ones that go that are great, uh, they work on their craft 24-7. That's awesome, man. All right. Well, I got I got one more question for you. Uh, actually, I got a couple more, but I'm going to let one of the other guys hit you with one after this. Uh, 99 Knicks. The team was amazing, man. Uh, you guys made that. 97 team was better. Oh, okay. All right. Well, in that case, let's let's go ahead and bundle this question with 97 and 99 Knicks. What's your favorite moment or favorite memory from whichever one of those years? Well, 97, I don't think it was a, a good memory, but it was memorable because of the rule that they implemented uh, when we got into the fight with the Heat. And <laughs> our guys, you know, they get one suspended, we get five. That's not a fair trade. And we fought in game six. We've, we only had nine players. And three or four of the guys didn't play more than, I would say, 50 minutes all year. So we were undermanned, but we, we battled. That's crazy. Uh, I think that year, because the Bulls should have an asterisk by their championship. Because that year, we, we I think we would have beat the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because I love it. Yeah, we would have beat them. We would have beat them because we matched up with them well. We were we were deeper than them at every position. Uh, mm. That's You're the year that we 97? all came in. The 97, yeah. This one, uh, uh, Allen, LJ, myself. Yeah, we would. Because we, Spree didn't come until the following year. I think 98, and we, I played with them two years, 98, 99. So, uh, yeah, we, we had a better team. We would, So they should have an asterisk because Miami wasn't much of a challenge for them. And we were up on Miami 3-1. So if we don't get into that off the yeah, they, they would have won game five, but we would have smoked them in game six. But, yeah, that was, a, that, was, that was tough that year. But the 99 team, man, with the short season, uh, and we got off to a horrible start. We dug ourselves a hole. I think we started off like eight and sixteen, 
And we had to win, I think, either 10 of our last 15 or 11 of our last 15 games to get the AC. Wow. And once we got in and knew that we played Miami, all Jeff said is we in and we were rolling. Hey, let's, let's see what happens. And being that we, we should have beat Miami four years in a row, that 97 was some bull stuff, but knowing, I'll take it personally. Yeah, knowing that we know them, let's go. And we were fired up. The fans were fired up. The city was fired up. Miami, they had those little clickers go <laughs> the whole game. And that was just hype. Cheerleaders, everything, man. It was just fire, man. And, uh, we battled. Both teams knew each other, mirrored each other. We hated them. They hated us. Uh, teacher, pupil with Jeff and uh, Pat. Teacher, pupil with Patrick and Lonzo. Gangsters, me and Tim. <laughs> you know, just you know, wanting to get at each other. But it was an unbelievable uh, matchup. Uh, it was physical. It was brutal. And my man, H2O. Allen Houston, one of the biggest shots in Nick okay. history. So, yeah, that 99 team was special. Man. I feel bad for wearing a Heat jersey for this interview. <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't, don't feel bad. Just understand that, you know, I got the Nick shirt on. So I'm just like, this is, this is a Dwayne Wade jersey. So, like, this is way, like, way after this. I just want to clarify. <laughs> Yeah, all good. Ooh, man, look, you had some battles, man. And and I love how you're saying that 99, 97 team. Speaking of that 97 team, and again, I'm going to say it, and I know that you know it, but back in 97, pulling out the tape, Michael Jordan, he's trying to lead the Bulls back. Scottie Pippen's sitting for, I mean, reasons we know now, but Scottie Pippen's sitting. And Jordan's, you know, Bulls are kind of struggling. Now, there's a moment in 97, they're playing y'all. And Jordan is, it looks like uh, a shot goes up, it's you and him at the basket, and he's trying to, he's trying to box you out. And then, right. and then something happened. He threw, a, he, threw a, he threw an elbow, and it hit me in the back of the head. And one thing I've always said, I don't mind physical play, as long as it's below the shoulders. Above the shoulders, because I had four concussions, and I had a, a fracture, uh, a broken fibula, uh, orbital bone mm-hmm. in my right eye that I got from David Robinson. I'm diving for the ball. He swings to punch it and he fractured my, uh, he broke my orbital bone in my eye. So Oof. when things like that happen, I get nutty. Now were the refs so, aware? Like, I mean, could they see? Cause when you look at the replay, it, it looked like, you know, as he's, as he's trying to box you out, it was, it was real quick. The, uh, the referees, they, they turn their back to stuff like that. It depends on who it is. It's Michael. So, but I don't need the rest to take care of it. I'll take care of it myself. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. I, yeah. uh, I, uh, I just, oh, you ain't going to do nothing through the ball. But after I threw the ball, my instinct is to square up. I don't want to get caught with my hands down. So I squared up, and I wanted to take off on him. 
But I, if I were to hit Mike, I'd still be suspended today. <laughs> so I'm thinking about that. Facts, yeah, I'm thinking facts. about that in the back of my head. Like, man, if I hit this dude, man, I'm going to be suspended for life. You'd have been the second most famous <laughs> person in basketball easily. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, I wanted to get out because Michael has this thing about when he gets into a confrontation. He, and I hope women don't take offense to this. Please, women, I love y'all. But he puts his hands in your face <laughs> like to, to claw at you. And so that irritated me. So I shoved him off. I'm like, if we're going to fight, let's fight. Why are you trying to claw me? You know, so he did that against Reggie, if you saw it. Yeah, where he's putting the hands and, and Reggie came at him right. too. It was ugly. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, he puts his claws like like he wants to scratch you. Like, man, if you scratch me, I'm going to follow you to the locker room and pour baby oil in the shower <laughs> while you're naked and beat you down. <laughs> you know, penitentiary style. <laughs> Hey, you let him know, man, because I think that game, they, they ended up issuing uh, double technicals. I mean, obviously, you know, what happens after that, you know, and and, and, I, and I think I think I don't think you return to that game, Chris. No, no, I got kicked out, but I had already had a technical before. But that a lot of that issue came from when I was in New Jersey because we battled and I had some really good games against Michael mm -hmm. and the Bulls or whoever, BJ, all those guys, they were. You know, yeah. at that time in New Jersey, I I had the neon light to do what I wanted to do and run the club the way I wanted to. Uh, so that probably carried over to that incident. But we end up uh, years down the line. Uh, he and uh, my buddy Charles Oakley would come to Miami when I was living there, and we would hook up and play golf and whatnot. So uh, we let that go. But what was crazy? Let me we go back. What was crazy after that happened? Scotty and I, you know, were good friends, and he would bring me cigars when I came to Chicago and he'd come to New York, I would give him cigars. So as we go out in the tunnel, I see Scotty, uh, Tiger Woods, and a guy named, uh, we call him Fast West. <laughs> and so I go up to him and, you know, talk to him, say what's up. And so they all got a bet that when Michael comes out, I'm going to shake his hand. And so I'm looking, I'm like, you guys must, must be crazy. You don't know... You got to check my, my background. I don't do that. And so Michael comes out and he's talking to him. He, he sticks his hand up and I just, you know, tell him, F you, I see you in the garden. And I walk to the bus. <laughs> see you in the garden. And they, and they all look like, and Scotty run to the bus and give me like a, three boxes of cigars. And Wes, I love you, man. I love you. And I'm like, nah, I don't need that. But I'm just saying, I'm not going to shake his hand if he elbowed me in the back of the head. You crazy? I just see him in the guard. True story. <laughs> I believe you. Well, you know, I, we, we all we all know it's a hundred, man. We got you. Yeah, true, true story, man. But yeah, we 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 end up playing golf years down the line, and uh, I took a lot of his money. So. <laughs> oh man. Um. All right. Well, before I get on to the next question, you said you took a punch uh, uh, from David Robinson as he went to go punch out the ball. And the, as soon as you yeah. said that, the only thing I can think of is that is one name on a short list of people I would never want to take a punch from. So <laughs> shout out to you, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I dove, man. And Dave went to like hit it like a volleyball and hit me right in the eye. And I, I think I had a concussion. My eye was swollen shut. I couldn't fly the same night. Had wow. to stay over, and I end up flying the next day with a patch on my eye. 
And yeah, man. I, and I, that's why I think that season, most of the season, I wore goggles. Oh, that's, crazy. that's crazy. Yeah, I had to wear goggles. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Well, you talked about it already about the heat a little bit, about the intensity, and uh, especially in the playoffs. Um, what is the difference or maybe like what's your experience playing in the like Eastern Conference finals versus the NBA finals? Is there a difference in intensity? Uh, and if so, like, can you speak on that? Uh, it's not any difference from the Eastern Conference. Well, there is a difference because you're more nervous because this is either you're going to the finals or you're not. So the team and the players that are able to control their breathing, because that's where the anxiety is, you know, when you're playing is you can't control your breathing. You're so hyper. So you have to be able to control your breathing to go out there and compete consistently and at a high level. So uh, that's the, the only difficult part. Uh, the playing is fun because it's, it's a chess match. Because uh, I remember that, that, that year, 97, was it 97 or 99? Yeah, I think 97. No, I'm sorry. It was 97. The year I think we swept Charlotte first, then we played the Heat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I so. Said, but I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was 97. That year was more nerve wracking than the 99. Really? You know, to go to the final. Yes. And the reason why, that was our first playoff run together as the the three guys that came in, myself, Alan, and LJ, the new free agents. We were the new guys coming in, but John ended up going to the bench for Alan to start. And so all the, the camaraderie had to come together. So that was more difficult than the 99 run that we made because we were all new to the system. We were all new to the long playoff run that the Knicks are used to having. So. Uh, that was more difficult than 99. 99, we were playing with house money because nobody expected us to get there as AC. Gotcha. So yeah. we were just we were just playing loose. And you guys and you guys at that point were playing together in a way that obviously it was clicking. Right, because nobody cared on any given night. We knew that we had Allen in, in uh Spree on the wings, and they could play in the system the same as when Patrick was there posting up so they can have the, the wing to run to roam and isolate but they can also post up and so you had just and then you had lj that can post up and play out of a double team so we had a we had a uh a nucleus of guys that it was hard to uh defend and they were so unselfish that they were double team they would kick it out and we just had to do our job and knock down open shots myself and charlie and uh chris would you say because, I mean, you of course, you, you've got to play with him for a few years. But would you say that Allen Houston is one of the most, like, underrated scorers of his time? Oh, yeah, underrated. No one talks about him. I don't know. It's one crazy. of the sweetest Jays. Because I think I, I think I named him H2O, that is jumper with one. <laughs> uh, yeah, Allen, and he worked hard. He, but see, people didn't know that Allen, I think he high jumped something like 6'10", or close to 7 feet in high school. Wow. Yeah, so he was more athletic than people give him credit for. Uh, but, yeah, he's very underrated. Nobody speaks of him because they talk about the great shooters and uh, Steph and Clay. You got to put Allen up there, too, at least top five for me. Because if you go Steph, Clay, Ray Allen. Uh, Reggie? Yeah, Reggie. I think Allen, Allen was a better shooter than Reggie. Think so? Me. Wow. Now, Reggie, Reggie Miller? Was a, Reggie 
Reggie was a clutch shooter. There's a difference. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 And a better shooter. Allen was a better shooter, but Reggie's made more clutch shots. Okay. More memorable shots. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Right. I can see that. So I can see that. So that's the difference. But Reggie's in the top five. Uh, you got to put Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many shoot. shooters now. And, and there's great. another guy that I think is underrated, and that's Mark Price. Mark Price. Mark yeah. Price of the Cavaliers was a beast. So, I mean, these it's a lot of great great shooters, but sure. those five, those five, I think I would put Bird before Reggie. So it'll be Steph, Clay, Ray Allen, Allen Houston, and Larry Bird be my top five. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good yeah. top five. Love it. I love it. Now you you brought yeah. up you brought up Mark Price, and um, I it's, I was just talking about Mark Price the other day because. Uh, maybe you could speak to this because you you have done like camps and stuff with a lot of the youth. I've noticed because I'm not I'm I'm in my twenties, and uh, okay. I'm I, I just love I just love hoop, and so I got to look back and I realized through watching tape that like Mark Price is one of the first people I've ever seen split the pick and roll, which is something that's done like right. all the time now. Do you think right. that like our generation is like losing the essence of like going back and appreciating like the guys who laid the foundation for the game? Uh, that's, that's a hard question to answer because I can't get to the mind of the new age players, but mm-hmm. I think that with NBA TV and showing old tapes and if you, the way the game is being played now and pick and roll is still a vital part of it, especially in the playoffs, mm-hmm. I think more guys should go back and study the guys before them, but the great ones, because Mark Price was a perfecto at the pick and roll. Kevin Johnson was a perfecto at the pick and roll game. Mm-hmm. So these guys were guys that I watched, you know, and I had a chance to play against. Uh, you know, Kyrie does well in the pick and roll, but the pick and roll is different now. They don't try to split it, but what they do is they they come off of it and they run like a circle to try to get you on your on their back. Like a snake. I think they call it like a snake. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like an S. Mm-hmm. You know, you see Westbrook doing it a lot. You see Kyrie. You see all the guards. Doing it. You even see the big guys do it. Yeah. So it's just a different way they run a pick or you, you definitely see uh, the dribble machine do it. He does it all the time. James Hart. <laughs> like Barkley said, dribble, 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 dribble. Dribble machine. The dribble machine. Dribble, 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 dribble. <laughs> oh man! That's no, shout out to James. He was a good kid, man. He's a fabulous player. But yeah, the pick and roll is ran differently. And guys, you know, if they want to add something to it, they might want to, you know, check the archives and some of the great guys that were uh, running it at the time. Isaiah Thomas, mm-hmm. you know, all time great. I think he's underrated. We agree with you. Yes, we literally just talked about that last episode about how Isaiah Thomas gets so much hate. Why? You hate him because he's competitive? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, because he went to Indiana, uh, because he speaks his mind, because, you know, a lot of times, what goes on in today's society, man, people don't want to hear the truth. You know, they'd rather be lied to than told the truth. And Isaiah's going to just tell you the truth. I don't like Jordan. I don't like Bird. If you don't like them, say it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't need to pull no punches. I don't like Tim Hardaway. I said it. Mm-hmm. 
if anybody want to give me flack about it, so what? <laughs> that's just that's just that, you know that's just life, man. Uh, Isaiah, is, if he has a a point to make or he he wants to say something, that shouldn't diminish what he did on the court. And and unfortunately, it seems like it did. Yeah, the man beat the Lakers on one leg. Crazy. Come yeah. on, man. Insane. That, that, that man is great. Insane. Certified Hooper, man. He's, man, he's one, of, one of the best. He's one of the only people to beat Larry, Magic, and Jordan in in, in like a two years <laughs> in like a two year span. And nobody talks about him ever. Nobody. Nobody. I talk about it because <laughs> when I was coming up and I was made to the league, I befriended his son. Uh, just met him, young kid, didn't, you know, just, he liked me and we started having a conversation at games and stuff. And Isaiah remembered that and we met, uh, we played and then we met one time and he said, man, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you befriending my son. You didn't have to do that. And I said, Zeke, I just, that's just me, brother. Yeah. I'm friendly with everybody. I'm friendly with the valet guy, the ball boy, the, the uh, trash collector, the, I don't care who you are. I'm going to have a conversation with you and hopefully hope you have a nice day. You know, we walk around me mugging and, and pissed off at the world too much. Then when you're doing that, you're missing out on the greatest gift that you, that God gave you was peace. Absolutely. Peace. You know what I'm Preach saying? Preach to so him, man. Preach to him. We got, we got to get back to loving people, man, and having peace, brother, and wishing people good luck and have a great day and, for anything I can do for you, man. You know, we, we got away from that, man. And we just messed up right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something, too, because as much as it's talked about, about how, you know, there were fierce battles back in the day, and they, and they absolutely were. You know that. But at the end of the day, like you said, you know, you and MJ play golf, you know. I mean, there's that whole thing that happened, you know, with, with Kobe, obviously, you know. But, I mean, right. what what's on the court is on the court. Once you're off the court. That's it. Right? I mean, it's it's all love. That's it. It's all love, man, because we're a fraternity, man. And, you know, life isn't promising. We get older and, you know, you want to wish guys well and check on them and, you know, enjoy the memories, enjoy the battle we had. But, you know, we all have families and kids. And, you know, if you see somebody, you know, that you haven't seen in years, you know, and you competed, like if I, for instance, if I saw P.J. Brown, me and P.J. was in New Jersey together, and me and him had words when he was with the Heat. But that's my brother. You know, that's my brother. So if I see him, I'm going to hug him. I see his wife, D. I'm going to hug her, the kids. Uh, same thing with, you know, Kenny Anderson or even Tim Hardaway. I say I don't like the guy, but if I saw him, you know, off the court, I might say F you first, but come here, man. I'm just trying to give him a hug. You, you know, give him a hug. Yeah. You know, that's just the way it is, man. We can't, you know, we're older now. And we can't be bitter old men, you know. We got hey, us, us, we we get it, man. We're all three best friends, and we'll we'll fight a, we'll fight each other in a pickup game, man. We get, we get it. I can't imagine what we do if we got paid for it. But. Start biting people, like you know. Hey, get off! Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. That's that's great, man. Well, well, look, I I wanted to kind of switch in in, in gears a little bit too, because okay. we talked about we were talking about un, uh, underrated players, underrated teams. That '99 Knicks team. You know, like you said, to me was very underrated. I can't remember the last time we saw a seed out of any conference uh, make it to the NBA Finals. Um, you know, which is which is crazy. The last team to do it was De- was Denver. 
It was Denver. I don't know if they, yeah, I don't think they made it to the finals, but they beat Seattle as an eighth seed, but I don't think they made it to the finals. That's, that's a long time, you know? So it's crazy to yeah, see that. Yeah, true. Now, looking at the greatness of the Knicks then, and then looking at the Knicks now, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what can we do, man? How do we fix the Knicks? Well, for, uh, first and foremost, any team that they put together has to have an identity of how they're going to play night in and night out. You can get any player, all the best players, the free agents, whatever you're trying to get. If you don't have an identity on how you're going to play each and every night, you're going to be inconsistent and you're not going to win. There's been a lot of talk, speculation, things said. I've said things about Dolan, getting him out of there. Oak said things. But I'm going to say this. Whatever they decide to do, they have to have people in leadership that are able to make decisions without looking over their shoulders. You can't run a successful business. You can't run a successful, if you guys join your podcast, you wouldn't have fun and be successful if every time you said something, you have to look over your shoulder. Yeah, it's true. You know, that's not the way, that's, yeah, that's not fun. So they need to have powerful people in positions that are able to make decisions without worrying about if I make this decision, will I be here or will I not be here? So you got to just take the reins off and let guys uh, do what they need to do to bring the Knicks back to prominence and have teams fear to come into the garden. You know, before we wouldn't, we wouldn't, you know, we would lose games, but you're not going to come to the garden and outwork us. You might be more talented to hit a winning shot or, you know, things go your way one night. But it's too many times that the, the opposing team come in there and the fans are cheering for them, which I hate. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you can cheer for a player like Mike who's great or LeBron or Kobe that comes to or the Greek freak or whoever. But you're supposed to cheer for your team. But I say that, that the team – has to play so that the way, so that the fans will cheer for them. Yeah, it's hard to cheer they, when you get beat by twenty. I think they got night. something in R.J. Barrett for so, sure. That's that's yeah, so. going to be interesting to see coming up in the next couple of years. Um, I will say this though: we recently uh, interviewed a guy, an ex NBA player who's currently in the Big Three. His name's uh, Craig Smith, and he said his favorite place to play was the Garden. And he, he said that the, the way, the, it, it, the lighting, the history, all of it, he said it was my favorite place to play. And like to think about, you know, the way he said it is it's almost like being on a stage, like it's being in a theater because the way that the old, old-timey kind of building feel to it, there's so much uh, history and stuff there. And uh, just, you know, I'm, right. I'm in my thir- early 30s. Uh, both of these guys are in their early to mid-20s. So, you know, we don't really remember a time of dominant Knicks basketball. And and it's it's sad, but it listening to him, you know, uh recently and now listening to you, all it makes me think of is, you know, that historical stage like presence and then to be dominant, it would just it, you know, it would it would make us go from Tampa to go to New York to go watch a game in the garden and it not be because of somebody on the opposing team. Right, and he's correct in that, saying that you know a lot of people say that they want their favorite place to play is the garden, but it was our job 
to make it your least favorite place <laughs> to play when you left. Yes. See what I'm saying? And that's okay that you, that's your favorite because it was mine and it was mine growing. And I grew up on the West Coast. I was I I liked Magic, but I wasn't a pure Laker fan. I was I loved Dr. J, and Walt Frazier was my man. And so when I got the chance to come to New York and play Madison Square Garden and start and meet Clyde Frazier, the first time I put my uniform on, I cried. Because I was like, dang, all them years in the CBA, not getting drafted, being told you can't, choosing basketball over baseball, all those emotions built up in me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a statement in this in this Madison Square Garden arena because it's different now because we used to have the tunnel and you walk through the tunnel and then teams would split and go to the home team locker room and the visiting team locker room. I don't know why they got rid of that because it's not the same feeling. And I'm saying that from watching it on TV because I haven't been back to the Garden since 04. Wow. So see, we hear that from a lot of yeah, old Knicks they, players, man. Like, just we, I haven't been back, and well, they they have they had a they celebrated our ninety seven ninety nine teams, and I wasn't invited, and Oak wasn't invited because when the incident happened with Oak, I spoke up, and they didn't like that, and I I can I can give it down because that's, that's my crazy team. though, man, and not and, and not if, if it wasn't Oak, if it was John, if it was Charlie, if it was Allen. If it was anybody, I would say the same thing. If that's my teammate, and if I was there, I would go to jail with him. That's just my character. And they took offense to that, and they had our team there, and they, they made up some story or whatever and said that, well, we couldn't get a hold of you. Or, uh, and then one rumor was Chris was asking for too much. My hotel room, I didn't, I didn't ask to come, period. So. I don't know what the truth is. It doesn't matter. I'm a, I'm a Nick. I'm going to support them to the day I die. Uh, I hope and pray that they get back to having success. Uh, I know they hired some new people. I just hope they can lead and get the players to play with the identity that uh, the fans and the people in New York are used to because uh, that, that 99 team was the city's team. It wasn't our team. It was the city, the whole city of New York, every borough. Every crevice, every club, every valley, ball boy, stripper, restaurant owner, you know, waiter, waiter, whatever. It was the city's team. And I think they felt that and they fell in love with us. I agree with you. I think the Knicks right now are missing. Like, well, I think you would agree that culture starts from the top down. And I think that Knicks, the Knicks organization right now is missing that pride that you just basically said, you know, um, being in New York is like, we're, look, we're Knicks, and that's, you know, you said from every, it doesn't matter if you whether you like basketball or not, but you have pride in that team because, right. you know, they're going out there and they're laying it out every night. I think they need uh, more ex-players that played in that era, that game, so they could sit there with the guys during practice, doing games, and explain to them what, how their approach should be and how to win the fans back. Because the fans expect you to go out there and play hard every night. Win or lose, Give it your all. Lay it on the line. And, you know, however the cards fall, they'll take it. But when you don't go out there and they can feel if you're not giving your best effort or if you're not going 100%, they can feel it because they're right there. 
and they're used to seeing the game played a certain way. They're very knowledgeable fans. So you can't, you know, BS your way through a game and them not know it. That doesn't happen. Because I remember when I first got there, I came down, I think it was either Minnesota or Charlotte. I hit the game winner, bang. Oh, they cheered. I go to restaurants, free food, free this. Two weeks later, the Bulls come in town, and I missed the game winner. Man, they booed me for a month. <laughs> <laughs> they booed me for a month because they was like, you should have swung at the Allen. But, you know, I was feeling good. I just hit one. I think I can hit the next one. <laughs> and so they, they booed me for a month. But I won their respect because they booed me, but I still played the game. I still played hard. I still competed. I was still knocking down shots. So that, those boos went to cheers real quick. Took a month, but because we didn't play the Bulls until like a month and a half later. So I got food for a whole month. So appreciate it, fans. <laughs> Ooh, only in New York, man. Only oh, in New York. Man. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So uh, we got like a few little quick hitters. We wanted to just, you know, see what your opinion is on some of them. The first one, I already know what the answer is going to be, and it's going to break my heart because I'm a Nets fan, but it's okay. Um, so, Chris, Knicks or Nets? You play for both franchises. It's, I know it sounds like you're a diehard Nick, and it's it's, 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 already, it's hurting my heart already, but go ahead. I'm a Nick. Let me, let me just explain it like this. I'm a Nick till I die, but I love the Nets because they gave me my start. So I, I would never say anything bad about the Nets, uh, we had an unbelievable team. We should have won more. Man, I got stories about that team. Like We were like the Bad News Bears, but uh, I love the Nets, but I'm a Nick, man, until I die. Ah, it's all good. We can still be friends. Okay. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> as I say that, I sit here in my Nets shirt. Okay, hold on. Let me ask you a question, <laughs> since you're a Nets fan. Uh-huh. Jersey or Brooklyn? Ooh. Oh, Jersey. Jersey. Not even. Okay. Well, I, I'm from Jersey. I I personally. But the team is in Brooklyn now. The team is in Brooklyn now. I'm going to still stick with them. But personally, like far as like branding wise, like I miss the old New Jersey Nets logos, the Prudential Center. I miss all those things about what made that team. Because, I, I mean, I understand what they're doing because I, I like good business. And that, <laughs> that was good business to move into Brooklyn. So I 100%, I get it. But I, I wish right now that they would acknowledge their past a little bit. Like I right. wish that we had they had a retro New Jersey, you know, uniform or something. Just something. Right. Because like, like okay. they just pulled in Kyrie. Kyrie Irving is a, is a is a Jersey boy. He's not a New Yorker. He's a Jersey exactly. boy. So well, you guys need to start a petition to get them to uh, bring out those old jerseys because those jerseys way doper than the jerseys they're wearing now, and really? those jerseys are probably in the top five. Uh, that's retro Ooh, jerseys. I hear you on the ever. retro, but that Coogee sweater mm, jersey like that they got, that Brooklyn swagger, uh, that Biggie swagger, nice. come on now. <laughs> nah, they caught nah, up in the moment, Chris. They caught up in man, the moment. That, that jer- if, you, if you pull up that Nets jersey with uh, Kenny Anderson when he came, when he first signed, and that blue jersey with the red, come on, the man. Royal? Dr. Jake. Oh, the classic <laughs> classics are, the classic classics are dope. Don't get me wrong. But like the right before they move, like Jason Kidd jerseys, no, man, <laughs> no, no, not those. Miss me those, not those, <laughs> not those jerseys. I'm talking about the ones before that, the ones that we wore. 
Yes. Oh, the yeah. Net, yeah, yeah. I, I'll nice. rock with those you on nice. that. Yeah, those those right. are dope. Those are dope. Those are... Now hold on, hold on. Wait, you don't like you didn't like the ones that Stefan was wearing? Stefan Marbury, you didn't like the unis? You didn't like those? I'm I'm on board with those too, but I'm biased. But <laughs> yeah, but those those black ones that Brooklyn wear they're hideous. Ooh. They're just boring. They're just boring. They're That's why he and Nick till he died. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so um, well, I mean, you kind of already answered this for us. But what's the funniest thing that happened to you while you were on the court? NBA, CBA, college. What's what's the funniest thing that you can ever happen to? You? Oh man. It's been several. I know when I first got there, Bernie Bickerstaff, who was playing against, I think he was with the, he was coaching the, the Bullets. Why They were the Bullets at the time. The Wizards watched the Bullets. Mm-hmm. And I had the ball, and it was like 34 seconds. No, I'm not, no it was about, it was a 24, it was a, we were getting the last shot, and it was 24 second shot clock. And I had the ball, and I'm dribbling, 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 dribbling. And then he goes, five, four. Three and I shoot it from half court, and there was still like 16 seconds on the shot. shot <laughs> and so everybody looked at me like, "What the waka flocka is going on with him?" <laughs> and then another one, same thing in Washington. They used to have a, a guy sit behind the bench with a bullhorn, and his name I think was Robin Vickers. He was an attorney, and so I'm a rookie. And I'm injured, so I'm sitting on the bench, and you have to wear, then you have to wear, you know, dress clothes. And so, I, like I said, I only had $75,000. So I went, I was in Jersey. I can't remember, I went to, was it Secaucus or somewhere to like a flea market type store to get slacks, shirt, and a tie. So, you know, I, I think I did pretty well. So I'm sitting on the bench. And the guy yells, Childs, Childs, you're pretty sharp there. You're looking good. And so I'm feeling myself, shoulders go up. <laughs> and he says, too bad that he has a 17-inch neck and a 20-inch collar. <laughs> 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 so the fans started laughing. So that was one of the things I remember most uh, that was memorable and funny at the same time at my expense. Oh, fans man. are creative man that's, that's great <laughs> yeah man, they are oh I this guy was the best and they end up i think he got kicked out or banned i think he got banned because he was drunk and cursing and uh he told uh yeah i think it was paul silas he said some really really bad things and i think david stern banned him from any <laughs> any wow. nba game not just that game any nba he was in the book the black book Ooh. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. In that case, it sounds like you got off easy. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, pretty much. And then um, this past weekend, we we finished up the, or ESPN finished, I should say, releasing a 10-part documentary on MJ. The cool part about this is that your career like intersected through that. And so did you have any any thoughts on the uh, on the Last Dance documentary? Yeah, it was mild compared to how he really is. Really? Oh, yeah. Very really? mild. Very mild. They, I don't think anybody went in expecting him to be a nice person. I mean, any real basketball fan doesn't think Michael Jordan's a good guy. But you said <laughs> even <laughs> even seeing what you saw, like that was still was like not well, even was, scratching was, the surface. From one to ten, that was a five. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Okay. So that's it's way wow. worse than that. Than how he 
challenge well, because if you look at it like he challenged his teammates, but if you look at it like this, every superstar, everyone is an <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> no, I mean so you have yeah. to be to an extent. Magic Johnson. Yeah, Pat, yeah, yeah. That's what that's what success what, is. Right. Pat, yeah. Pat too. Patrick Pat, Ewing? Yeah, Patrick Ewing. <laughs> all of them oh are. my goodness but you what you, you have to understand that you have to be that way to get the best out of your teammates now he wasn't this is on the court off the court one of the nicest yeah. guys you ever on the court because he wants the ball he wants to to compete mm-hmm. he wants to be the man and he was the man so he would say certain things but at that time, I was 25 when I came to the – no, I was 27. I was 25 when I made it to the league. When I got to the Knicks, I was 27. So he couldn't just talk to me like he would talk to a rookie, a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. And the thing that I give him credit for is that he said some things to me in our first few games, but then we went to the locker room and had a man-to-man. And so that was, you know, nipped in the butt real quick. But if you think about LeBron, Kobe – all the greats that have played, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Kareem, Magic. Magic Johnson told me years ago, he said that he had a traveling team when I was in the CBA, and he hugged me. He said, you're going to make it. And that meant the world to me. I have a picture of us walking on the court. And he said, your teammates don't have to like you, but they damn well better respect you. Wow. Wow. And... That's where, yeah, and that's where the stuff that you guys saw with Michael was mild. He put he he led differently than a lot of people would lead, and he did that by challenging you. And Kobe was the same way. Patrick was different. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was in your face, like if you ain't ready to play, don't don't come. And so I would line up behind guys like that any day of the week. And Michael respected Steve more when Steve stuck up for himself. See, a bully is only a bully until you stick up for yourself, until you bully him back. You know, and that's what Mike was doing. He was bullying guys to see when things got tight, what they fold or what they put their chest out and compete and battle and go to war. So. Yeah, what you got? What you guys saw was mild, man. That was he was on his best behavior. <laughs> those are the, those are the clips that made it. <laughs> yeah, he was on he was on good behavior. He was he had a furlough, so he had to be good. <laughs> well, then let well then let me ask you this because you mentioned some of the greats and and your take on on the last dance. Everybody's been watching, so it's been having people ask the question that that everybody's been asking. MJ or Bron? It's no comparison. LeBron is great in his own, but he doesn't have the rings. And LeBron doesn't want the ball in clutch time, in crunch time. If you look at the championships, Kyrie hit the big shots. Okay? When he won, when he was in Miami, Dwayne Wade hit the big shots. It was always defer, get a ball in. So not saying LeBron's not great, but he's not clutch. Because he defers to the other players to hit the big shots. Now, he made a big play when he blocked Iguodala's, you know, layup that year 
to help them win. And he did all the other things uh, leading up to that to get them there. But you have to you have to have that clutch gene to be even in the same room with Mike. There, it's not even close. But I understand the era, the era no, that no, no, we live in. No, no, in. I'm I'm with you, and I I was like ten when Jordan retired. I'm with you 100. <laughs> percent Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, I know it's just you know barbershop talk, and people want to know uh, mm-hmm. about that. But Kobe was closer to Michael than. LeBron is. That was going to be my next question. Whenever whenever we have this conversation, whenever this conversation gets brought up, I'm always confused as to why Kobe just gets passed. I don't understand like why. I don't know. If if Mike is the, is the GOAT, he's the greatest we've ever seen, and Kobe is the closest thing we've seen to him, how, like, why don't we, why, why are we not talking about Kobe? Well, I think down the line they will, I think right now with with Kobe's passing, that's what's on people's mind when you bring up Kobe. Uh, but true basketball heads, guys that play with him and against him, know his greatness. Because if I was starting a team, I would take Kobe because he's clutch. He has the clutch gene. Not, nothing against LeBron. LeBron is great. But mm-hmm. I would – the best players ever played a game in me is MJ and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Those are my – Probably, wow. the, greatest, probably those, the greatest resume of all time. In those, are, those, are my, <laughs> those are my two. Then after that, you can put them in any order. LeBron, Magic, Kobe. Uh, you can put them in any order after that. But mm-hmm. – and, and you got to start talking about Larry Bird too. Yeah, for Larry, sure. Larry Bird doesn't get mentioned enough. If Larry Bird is not in your top seven, you're not a true basketball head. So I just love, like to I give credit it. credit where it's due, man. Isaiah. I mean, these guys are great, man. Yeah, we have, we've had a lot. All the guys are great, but when you're talking about the top echelon of Mount Rushmore, those guys are up there. And I was just blessed to be able to compete against a lot of them. Beautiful. For sure. Beautiful. Wow. All right, and so... To wrap it up on our, our last question, I got to ask this because this has been like, I, I'm trying to figure it out for like the longest time. NBA players in golf. What is it with golf? Why? What, what's the what's the big deal? Well, first of all, golf, that's where the most of the money is made. That's where all the deals are made business-wise. Golf. <laughs> got you. All right. All right. Okay. But, As a salesman, I can attest to that 100%. <laughs> professionally, I am in sales and I cannot tell you how many deals I've closed swinging a golf club. On the golf course. <laughs> because a, a lot of us, I golf and I got down to scratch because I played when I was younger. I used to go to the golf course and that was the time, only time I can be with my dad because he was on the golf course doing business with, you know, city people. So I would go and play golf. So I played it my whole life. And I had planned on joining the seniors tour when I turned 50, but I stopped playing for a few years to fish in, uh, down here in Florida. But most guys golf, honestly, to get away from their, their wives. Just being honest. <laughs> Family. I saying that. My wife, my wife wow. listens to this, man. I can't. Oh, uh, I what's your wife's name? What's your wife's name? Kate. Hey, Kate. He he goes to play golf just to get away from your phones. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bust just it, kidding. Bust it. A lot of guys play golf just to go there to drink. Honestly, 
just to have fun, just yeah. to be with the boys. But the serious ones go there and they do, they make business deals. They're talking about the next business deal that they're trying to get to. Mm. So uh, it's free time and we get, you know, we're playing, we get golf equipment because a lot, there's not a lot that you can do when you're playing during the season. So when you get in the off season, you can go to vacations and do all that stuff. But now you think, okay, what am I going to do now after the first month? And that's play golf. Okay. 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 All right. That, that, yeah. I had to clean that up. Um, I now understand. I understand. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, man. man. This has been a blast, man. Cool. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, man, talking with all us. Right, my pleasure, guys. Really you're very welcome. Thank you, Chris, great. man. It was awesome, bro. Hey, man. Thank you again, Chris. Appreciate you for coming on, brother. All right. Thank you, brother. You guys stay blessed. Stay safe. All right. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Triple Overtime. Be sure to give us a follow on all social media platforms at 3OT Podcast. Big ups to Chris Childs for spending some time with us. Go ahead and give him a follow on Instagram as well at Chris underscore Childs1. And be sure to subscribe to the channel on all podcasting platforms. Hey, T, you look like Marcus Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's so crazy. <laughs>